Father, we thank you in Jesus' name for this moment. And um, Holy Spirit, we're submitting to your leadership in the room. We, we pray. There's nothing that makes me feel more full than obeying you. And so I want to leave this meeting full. And, um, and so, Lord, help as we uh, accomplish what you've called us to do, to be an equipping ministry to many streams that are represented even in this room right now from the body of Christ. God, we love you. We bless you. Bless this time in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so I want to just really quick, we're, we're encouraging strongly people to pray the Bible. And to, to see a, 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 I don't know if you've heard Donna talk about it, but somebody, I don't know if it was the Bible Museum in Washington, D.C. or somewhere, declared this the year of the Bible and the decade of the Bible. Has anybody ever heard that? I don't know what that means. It should probably always be that, right? But there's been, an, there's been a real increase on that emphasis. And we would love that because we're Bible people. We're Bible people. We love the prophetic. We love all the gifts of the Spirit. We're Bible people. We want to see people praying the Bible, uh, preaching the Bible, memorizing and being in the Scriptures. And I just want to take one moment. We're hitting some different angles on how to handle the Scriptures because um, it can get a little funky handling the Bible. And so I want to give you two examples as we think about this. Um, if you want to turn your Bibles, and I'll, I'll have these Scriptures up here when I say that. You can go to your phone, whatever you want to do. But I want to show you two things. Daniel I want to show you how to how to and how not to use the Word of God, because we really do need that. It's not, just like, it's not like carte blanche, do whatever you want with the Bible. I've seen some funky th things done with the Bible, and uh, the Scriptures actually address this in multiple places. But let me give you two highlights um, for this: how to use the Bible. Daniel in Daniel chapter nine, one through three, the prophet Daniel at this point is eighty to ninety years old. Okay, he was taken down as a really young man, spent the 70 years in captivity with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, remember that? And they were in there, and so he does the whole 70 years, and he looks at the calendar, and I love this passage, love this prayer, Daniel 9, because it, it ignites a, the last main movement in your Bible, which is Ezra and Nehemiah, the rebuilding the temple and the wall. Um, Daniel, it says in the first year of Darius, chapter 9, verse 1, the son of Shirius, by the descent of Mede, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, in the first year of the reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years that according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely, 70 years. Then I turned my face to the Lord, seeking him by prayer and pleas of mercy with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. Now, one of my favorite prayers in the Bible is the whole rest of that chapter almost, okay? I'm not going to read that right now. I just want, I want to highlight this. Daniel sees, it's a scroll, it's not the Bible like we have it now, but he reads Jeremiah 25. That's what happens here. He reads Jeremiah 25 and he understands, man, this seven decade captivity we've been in has got a shelf life to it. It's going to actually end. Jeremiah prophesied a hundred, whatever it is, years before, he prophesied that there would be a desolation, and it happened. They ransacked, Nebuchadnezzar did, ransacked Jerusalem, hauled us all off to Babylon, and he's looking at the scroll and going through there, and he reads 70 years. Then he does the math, I don't know how this happens, goes to his little iPhone and looks at the calendar, he looks at it and he's like, oh my gosh, this is year 69, or whatever.
whatever it was. We're right at it. We're right at the end of this time. There had actually been some different kingdoms that were over them. And he takes the word of God out of the mouth of Jeremiah. Okay, I got a sentence here. Dan Daniel used the word of God given to Jeremiah in Jeremiah 25 to pray in a seat to pray in season for an activation of a move of God that led to her righteousness. So he gets himself aligned with the word, prays the word fast. And again, what happens is what I mentioned earlier. It's one of my favorite movies. He, Ezra, a pagan king, is stirred up to give a bunch of money and all the stuff for, he's the, he's the king of Persia, to, for he releases Israelites. Anybody that wants to go back to Jerusalem, you're free. It's like a letter of emancipation or whatever it is. You know, it's a proclamation of you can go. And so I think it's like 70,000 of them or so go back down with a bunch of resources and they start building the temple back. And it's really a great metaphor and a whole bunch of sermons out of Haggai and Zechariah, the restoration of the house of prayer and the house of worship in Israel. But it was all ignited by the prayer life of Daniel who took the word of God and used it in the right way. You want to be someone who's perusing, scanning. We talked about it last week. Slowly reading under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the Word of God, and then take that Word and, yes, obey it, but pray it. I think people, people who pray the Word are much more likely to obey the Word. When you get the Word of God in your heart, your spirit, and you're saying it, I'm telling you, angels move, demons are in trouble, there's war in the heavens. Read Daniel 10. Because he's praying again there. And man, I'm telling you, Prince of Persia and Michael and Gabriel all warred in the heavenly realms. There's something powerful when the people of God pray the word of God. And so this is an appropriate use in context, in season, applying the word and praying it. That's good. How not to use. Let's go to someone who you would not be surprised, Satan. Satan did not use the scriptures very well and accurately. And so... Matthew chapter 4, the second temptation to Jesus, and this is so key. You've got to hear this because I think some of us in zeal and in, um, yeah, just what seems to be sincerity, but it's a narrative from the earth. We're misusing the Bible, um, and it's really a key deal. So, okay, so Matthew 4, the first temptation, do you remember what it was? To Jesus from the devil was, take the stones and put, make them to bread to eat. If you're the Son of God, do this. And so Jesus passes that one. Man doesn't live by bread alone, but by reward that proceeds from the mouth of God. The second one is Satan using the Bible to try to tempt Jesus into sin. It says, Then the devil, verse 5 of Matthew 4, took him to the holy city, set him, this is a supernatural, this happened bodily, I believe, to Jesus, set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you're the Son of God, throw yourself down. And it's not just some weird call to suicide, temptation to suicide. Because he says, let me use Bible to show you why you'll be okay. It's written in Psalms 91, which we just prayed. In Psalms 91, it says he will command his angels concerning you. And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Satan used Psalms 91 out of the Holy Spirit-inspired mouth of Moses to try to get Jesus to sin. Actually, to kill him. Jesus responds, you remember? It also says, test not the Lord your God. But I want to say that this is obviously an inappropriate use of the Bible. And what do I mean by that? What's the inappropriate use? Well, what Satan does is he uses the Word of God 
given through Moses in Psalms 91, out of season, not in season like Daniel did, out of season, out of context, to tempt the Son of God into presumptuous sin. And so I've seen this happen with believers, just willy-nilly using Bible verses to actually just support their political view or their their leanings as they feel about certain cultural things. we got to be careful. God didn't say that we just should take any Bible verse and then we can just, you know what I mean? Like, um, I, I want to see if I can make a real basic one. You know, the Lord said, his angels are going to watch over me, so I'm never wearing a seatbelt. I'm not doing it. This is stupid. It's stupid to wear a seatbelt because the angels are going to restrain me if I hit another two-ton car. Somebody see what I'm doing right here? The Bible says clearly, clearly that we're to obey the authorities. And we're to apply the word in context of the whole word of God. Crazy things and even cults have birthed out of the Bible. And because they were taken out of season with manipulative motives, most of the time sincere, deception hardly ever is this sinister evil thing. Deception most of the time is, happen is almost all the time happening to sincere people who have some desires, even hopes, who are manipulated by the enemy and by agendas that are not from the Lord. The devil takes Psalms 91. you got to think about it. It's a sober thing. That the Bible verses could be used by the devil. I one time literally <laughs> got in trouble in a church service because I was preaching, and I, I said, I believe you can sin reading the Bible. Someone was like, are you kidding me? How could that ever be true? Because I think a religious spirit never can see that. I think you could be out of the spirit reading. Like I'm looking for verses to pray the death of the person who was against me. Or like one of my pastors when I was young, there were women in the church praying that his wife would die, probably using Bible verses so they could marry him. I'd say that's a misuse of the Bible and prayer, don't you think? They were worshiping women who would love for... Judy to bite the dust so they can marry John. I'm like, what in the world? Those are believers. And so I want to say this. I approach the scriptures like a child. I don't want to cause anybody to have fear. But my, might be sober about the sacredness of what's going on here. And when you approach the Bible, it's a war zone. The enemy is right trying to affect and to insinuate our ministry, to get us to manipulate the word of God. To actually be, I think, by the way, that there are certain streams in the body of Christ who are cherry-picking the Bible for you to be able to live the life that you want to live. And if you don't have enough faith and you don't have what, but here, you want to be rich? You want to never have pain? Well, the Bible promises that to you. I just have a conversation with the Apostle Paul, who was beat every other week. You know what I mean? This is just ridiculous kind of stuff that goes on. And so, there are appropriate ways to use the Bible. It's anointed and use it in the spirit realm. And there are inappropriate ways. Make sure you read in context. That's why I put the word Daniel prayed in season. I mean in context with where he was. The devil takes things out of context, resets the narrative, and tries to deceive us with the very word of God. Is everybody, you know what I'm talking about? Is everybody good? Okay. I don't want to scare anybody, but I want to say... This is the most supernatural dynamic book in the Anybody that's bored of the Bible doesn't understand what the Bible is. I don't have condemnation for you. I'm just praying for your soul. I'm praying for you to have revival. This is a supernatural living book. It's got, it's
It's the only book on the on the planet that tells us the truth about the past, the truth about the present, and literally how the future is going to unfold. This is a pretty good book. Who likes the Bible? Say amen. <sighs> this is better than the best-selling novel. This is the eternal word of God. And so I can get all pumped and be the cheerleader for the Bible. It might not make you want it more. But pray, pray, pray that the scales come off people's eyes. And like Josiah, we find the book in the temple. And there's a revival that happens in our lives. But even if that happens, the war starts, man. And you need to have discernment. Oh, how we need to have discernment about teachers, even motivated and good ones, to make sure be good Bereans checking every teacher. Everything I say tonight, I hope you don't take my word for it. Please to God, don't take my... I hope I've got some integrity, but what do you... You need to take it, test it with the Spirit, and test it against the Scriptures themselves. So, Father God, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would uh, teach us how to and not to use the Word of God. I pray none of us be guilty, and the body of Christ at large across our city and our state would not misapply the Bible. God, will you... Your holy word, I pray. For, I, I want to pray this. I want to pray for a revival in the Bible. A revival of scriptures in every person's heart in this room. People that will listen to this recording later. God, I pray for supernatural stirring up a passion for the scriptures. A love of the scriptures. Not from ought to, out of some religious spirit, but out of a genuine heart of affection. And that we got the gift of Yahweh's words. Thank you. And Lord, I pray you protect the body of Christ from deception, from deception of every kind, especially the twisting deception happening today, trying to tie earthly narrative agendas to biblical. God, help us to be better than that, to discern between whether it's Republican or Democrat or independent, that we could see the kingdom of God and transcend all of these voices and the information war, this fear on both sides. God, I pray, help us to navigate these roads through the word of God and to pray the scripture and obey the scripture for your glory. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. Yay! Use the Bible good. Everybody got it? Sermon 2. Here we go. Deuteronomy, we do not have these verses. Deuteronomy 28. Let me read two verses for you and then make a proclamation to you and we'll see how you do. Deuteronomy 28, verse 47. Because you did not serve the Lord your God, listen, with joyfulness and gladness of heart because of the abundance of all things, therefore you shall serve your enemies whom the Lord will send against you in hunger and thirst and nakedness and lacking everything. That's kind of an intense. Listen to these two Bible verses, okay? And tell me, I want you to tell me what it is that Yahweh is indicting his people in. What is it that they didn't do? Here it is. Because you did not serve the Lord your God with joyfulness and gladness of heart, because you've got so much abundance from me, therefore you shall serve your enemies. What is he indicting them for? Is he indicting them for disobedience? Clear disobedience to a command? They did that all over the place. But is that what he's talking about right here? What's he got it? What's he nailing them for, everybody? They didn't serve him with joyfulness and gladness of heart. I don't know if you've ever seen this Bible verse, but this is a big deal. The Lord's not just looking for raw obedience to where you do it, but you got a bad attitude while you're doing it. Your happy God wants a happy people. He wants
wants you to be filled with joy and gladness of heart. I don't know if everybody knows that. I love this about Isaiah 56, 7. I'm a prayer guy. God's not looking for people to go, oh my God, we should pray more. And then I get into prayer and I'm doing ought to prayer. He promised, Isaiah 56, 7, there will be joy in my house of prayer. You've not touched real prayer with the Lord if you're not experiencing joy. Everybody okay? You're not. It's a, there's a thrill. There's a, I love intercession. I love prayer meetings. Not because I, they don't get me any more righteous. I can't get any more righteous. I've got Jesus' righteousness. But what I do is I get into dialogue with my Father and with my God, and joy begins to fill me. Right here, look how serious God is about joy. Look how serious. Because you didn't serve me, and the Lord, with joyfulness and gladness of heart. And so I just want to challenge you. This is actually challenging news that's really, really good news, is that gladness and joy should mark the people of God. We should be joyful in the service of him. He's not looking just to get stuff done. He's looking for us to get stuff done with a heart full of gladness and joy. So you got to ask yourself a question. I've got a begrudging, complaining heart. I always use this example. It's like, it's not good enough for me just to get Joshua, eight years old, to pick to, to take the trash out to the, okay, that's not good enough for me. Him to do that while grumbling and attitude, all that, that's not success. Success is when he can take the trash out and sing a happy tune. And you're like, that's never going to happen. Well, but I've got a goal at least, right? I want obedience with a good attitude. Or I've, it's not successful obedience. Begrudging obedience is not honoring to the parents. It's not honoring to Yahweh. And so he's like, listen, and you look at the phrase, they didn't serve him with joyfulness and gladness of heart. Why? Why should they have been joyful? Because of the abundance of all things that he had given them. How many of you believe that God has provided us an abundance of things in Christ? I mean, like piles and piles. If you would lose everything you have, even now, you're still the richest people on planet Earth. We're going to rule and reign the Earth. We're going to be kings and queens forever. We're a royal priesthood. And so we're already, there's an abundance of things that should drive our hearts even while we're in weird seasons that cause us to wear masks we don't want to wear. We actually don't have to grumble through it. We actually don't have to grumble through uncomfortable seasons. We can truly rejoice. So Paul touched this and read Philippians if you want an injection of joy. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. He'll just all say it over and over that he wants their joy to be full. And so I'll, I'll give you this, and I'm going to move on from this one because I have one more thing to say to you about Job. But in, in John 15, 11, Jesus will say, I said all this to you so that my joy would be in you. Everybody listen to that phrase. Listen to that phrase. I, get, I gave you all these things so that my joy would be where? The joy of Jesus, that's, that's big joy, would be in you and that your joy would would be made complete. The Lord is committed to instruction in our lives so that you and I could receive his joy. So you might say, hey, I don't have a lot of joy. Listen, Jesus wants to hand you his joy. He wants to give you and it to remain in you, mature in you. And I encourage you to start praying that. Pray John 15, 11. Lord, take my complaining heart, my down, and release your joy 
I want your joy, your joy, Jesus, to remain in me, in me, and to mature in me as I grow. Okay, so I want to encourage you around this thing. We are to be a happy, happy, happy people. One more thing, Job, Job chapter forty-two, Job forty-two, three sermonettes that make up one thing. Job at the end of Job forty-two, in uh, the book of Job, Job says. After broken in, arguably, no one suffered more than Job except Jesus. In, you know what it is. Verse 5. Job says at the end of this book, I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. Therefore, I despise myself and I repent in dust and ashes. Now, I know I just shifted gears real hard, but I... I know I'm supposed to say this to you. That's a good place. Job's saying everything from this point backward was me hearing about you. Now I see you. You should read Job 39, 40, and 41. God takes him to the woodshed. Where were you when I made the Leviathan? Where were you when I set the skies? It's a really awesome deal. I mean, it's like the Lord's got some cool... Yahweh sarcasm going on. It's really a powerful deal as he engaged. And Job is undone with boils on his body, buried all his kids. It's a bad, bad season. Nobody's, I'm not mocking that at all. But he makes a transition from massive suffering to this. And here's something I need to say about it. The very first sentences of the book of Job is, Job was a righteous man, blameless, and all he did. So some may ask, do the righteous suffer? Of course they do. And why do they suffer? Because you need to move Job from Job in Job 42. You got to move from Job that's just righteous and holy and out of fear making sacrifices. I don't know if you remember that. Just in case his kids had sinned. He moves from that. A guy who argues with accusers who clearly were off the mark, but he's he's obviously got some pride in his soul and he's dealing with something, but he suddenly says, listen, this phrase, I had heard of you, now I see you. What transitions a righteous person from a hearing about God and a, to a seeing of God and being undone? Well, I offer for you that I believe it's suffering. I hate it. I hate every bit of it. I hate, I squirm under it, and I, and, I, and I would never be light about your suffering and what you're going through. And I know I've said this, but I've had some people go, oh my gosh, you talk about suffering a lot because it's in the Bible so much. It's happening in our lives, and it's not without purpose is my point. God allows Satan, you've got to deal with all that, i got to deal with all that, and I don't want to be glib about theological matters, but he allows some tragic things the God who controls the universe. And all I'm saying is I think that the book of Job is counsel to us that he's committed more than to our physicality, to our spirituality. He's committed to our eternal ruling and reigning and spiritual position with him. And thus he'll allow pressure that's not from him. I, I think disease and and, and, and human trafficking and the, and the evil 
I'm not, none of that I'm saying is from God. But I'm, I'm, I'm reading my Bible and he's sovereign over that stuff, but he's allowing you. Watch the dialogue with Satan and the Lord about Job. Have you considered him? And he's blameless and he's righteous, but God wants to take him to another place. And so why I'm saying this to you is this, is I feel like often we stink at processing our suffering. And sometimes all we're locked in on is getting rid of it. And I think all of it gets rid of in the full justice of Jesus Christ. One day, no more sickness, no more pain, no more tear, all, okay, I get it. That's where we're going. And we should, none of us should feel normal about dying. It's not normal. We're not supposed to die, okay? But in the middle of the journey there, if you've not noticed, there's a tad of some aches and pains. And I want to say full out, I believe in the kingdom of God. I believe in healing through Jesus Christ. By his stripes we're healed. I'm not, I'm a, God's a healer. And God will use sickness, guy. And you may not like that. I'm a, God will release you from prison. God will endure, let you endure in prison. God could deliver Paul, and he did multiple times for people killing him. And then God let him be beheaded. That's unbelievable. And I just think, I'm trying to challenge, I feel it in my heart. I want to challenge you with global suffering coming that we've never seen. This is this is child's play <laughs> compared to the book of Revelation. But, but And the personal suffering that we're all going through, we all, at some level, we've got to figure out a way to process this through the Bible, by the power of the Holy Spirit, other than denial and constantly being angry about the... And listen, nobody has to like it. Yay, I hurt. Yay, they're mean to me. He betrayed me. He, I'm not. That's ridiculous. My shepherd's heart breaks at the thought of that. But I know this, that there's nothing that escapes the grasp and the wisdom and the loving kindness of my God. I wonder, I think we're going to be stunned by the thousands of things he didn't let happen to us. I don't, I don't know it biblically. I'm just saying it's theoretically to me. I think I'm going to get a list. This is the thousand cars that could have hit you. And look at the angel hit that Buick. Let the, whatever it is. But he did let some things through. Um, I think Tim and I got a friend. It's a, a, a missionary doctor guy. He said, no bullet ever gets through to you. He's telling missionaries, go to the hardest places. No bullet gets through to you except that last one that he allows. You're, you're impenetrable. You're bulletproof. You're 100% bulletproof until it's time. And he might actually have wisdom in the time. And so, what's happened to me in my pansy little easy life, I will admit, and anyone could accuse me of, but in the small measure, losing the friend to leukemia, gets hit on the bike, mom and dad divorce, little bit of pain in my body, but in the middle of all that, what's, what's happened to me is God, by His grace, is teaching me not to waste those moments. That's what I'm concerned about, is that we're wasting those moments. The ouch and the groan are actually for glory, I think. These temporary afflictions are earning for us, remember, an eternal weight of glory. 
and, and I just tell you, there's going to be people way in front of Billy Graham. And it's not that way in heaven, by the way. It's not some merit-based thing. But you're going you're gonna to be shocked by the size of the mansions of people that suffered most of their life but still confess that Jesus is Lord. And said, I love him. And said, oh, it hurts. Take it away. Take it away. I love you. Take it away. Take it away. I love you. And I don't know why it doesn't go. It goes away for some. It doesn't go away from others. I have no clue. And that's a temptation for me to start getting hacked off. But I'm choosing not to do that and to go, you're either God or you're not. And you got a purpose for this or you don't. So I've literally heard people say, Joni Erickson Tata and her paralyzation doesn't have enough faith. Why didn't she believe God and get up out of that wheelchair? Don't say that to me because I'm not sanctified yet enough to not come back to you with a very smart aleck answer with some anger. She's touched the globe with the Bible. Touched the globe with the doorway of her sufferings. Thousands have been saved. Many have been encouraged to not give up in life from a woman in a wheelchair hurting every day. And I'm looking at that going, man, that looks like the cross. It looks like the cross that can have resurrection power all over it. So I'm pleading with older, middle, and I see these young people that have been deceived as I have been by the American dream that says you deserve never to hurt and never to have trial. If it does happen, something's wrong, fix it. And then a little bit of bad teaching has added some Bible to it. I'm so sorry. This is a war zone. People hurt. And every bit of it, if processed by faith before the Lord, can take us deeper in sanctification and consecration and earn gold for us, I think, in the eternal realms. So, Father, I pray for everyone in the room such a deep subject, painful to our hearts, unexplainable mysteries. What do we rebuke? What do we submit to? God, help us. What's supposed to be over quick and what's the long-term journey? We don't know, but we tr we're going to trust you. We're going to turn this over again and not be so short-sighted everything you gave was just so we could live the life we want to live. Lord, we thank you for eternal life. I pray you would stir our hearts at new levels to stop being short-sighted that somehow this is the fullness of our existence. We're going to live for billions and billions of years in glory reigning with you. But I pray in this womb of eternity, this 70 years, maybe less, Lord, I pray I pray we not waste the time in the womb, that we would trust you for the pressure that we feel, the uncomfortableness we feel. I pray we could process pain apostolically. Again, show us how to war about against what we need to war, but Lord, I pray, show us how to submit to, yield, and actually become deeper sanctified. Through the, through the pain that happens in this life. Gotta pray for relief, for relief for people in this room who who live under emotional and soul pain. I pray relief. I know you in a second can lift it off. 
And if not that, then Lord, I pray for fresh faith revelation. Why is this happening? Submitting and letting the fullness of it happen that produces gold in their heart. I pray in this room for healing every physical sickness. By your stripes we're healed. You're a healing God. Heaven will have no sickness, we know. God, I know you can a second do something. Break in. We've heard the stories. But I'm also asking if there is delay. We're all going to get healed one day. But if there is delay, God, I'm praying for supernatural grace to process the pain. To praise in the pain and sing in the suffering. Jesus, I pray for those that are not in the room, that we know that are hurting. And I'm asking really for your church, your church to not be tempted to unbelief, frustration, denial, or anger over the pain. I pray we could be a people of praise. Whatever was in Job's life that could say, naked I came, naked I go, blessed be the name of the Lord after losing everything. Lord, give us that kind of grace in our day-to-day stuff. We bless you and give you glory in Jesus' name.